0: Hey, everyone. It is Nick Bradley here yet again for an episode of Scale Back
1: with my good friend, Mark Drager. Hello, Mark. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending when you're listening to this.
0: Exactly. So, as always, this is our more relaxed episode, but it's not going to be that relaxing today because off the back of our money episode last time, we've got quite a few questions around how you generate money in your business of course not 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 just crazy side hustles and we thought that we would make the theme today marketing geeking out about marketing because if you think about it marketing is sometimes confused people have different definitions and understandings of it, which is right, right, you know, in terms of it. So I thought what we could do today, Mark, if you're up for it is I'll share a little bit of my background in marketing because that's where I actually started. You're a marketing guy. So you know a hell of a lot about it. And I think we should talk about different things that we feel are important to scale grow your business via marketing via commercial activity. uh, And also some of the trends and things like that we think are going to be hot in 2023.
1: I, I, i When you say geek out about this, uh, I, I only realize how much I geek out about this as I watch other people's eyes glaze over when I start talking about like. <laughs> I get lost in the
0: weeds. We've so. just lost half the listeners. Half the <laughs> listeners have left now. No. no like, but, but here's the thing. This is, this where's is, the where's the mergers and acquisitions? Where? How come you're not super, talking about
1: that? This is going to be super targeted because I know you started your career in marketing, but since 2006, I've been running a creative a creative agency, a strategic agency, and. So we've had the chance to work on. I was I was thinking about this the other day. 3,400 projects, 300 plus plus companies, ranging from the simplest, smallest thing like, "Hey, we need," uh, you know, this communication to go out from a CEO to national campaigns launching startups. I am so excited to any way you want to take this. Let's go.
0: Okay. Well, let's let's. I mean, as always, listeners out there, we don't have too much of a structured agenda. We have a few questions from the audience so to speak people who have sent us stuff on social media from past uh, episodes and as i said beforehand some of the questions that we got through inspired the topic of this but i think to kick off what, what i might do i don't think i've shared this before in 300 odd episodes of this this podcast uh not in any depth anyway but i i, I started my whole career if you like certainly um after I, I sold my first business, which people know about. At the same time as running that company, I was doing a marketing degree uh, in the University of South Australia, fantastic place, back in the early 1990s. Okay. And when I left that, the first job that I got was in Coca Cola, in the graduate, the marketing graduate sort of team. And I lasted a few weeks until I got sacked. <laughs>
1: and then and then i I ended up i know that's a recurring theme in your career uh, i love getting sacked i'm a rebellious dude hold on you you've always (laughs) described yourself as a bit of a cheeky kid what happened what happened in coca-cola like
0: well you know it was it was it was funny actually because i'd already had my own business and i'd sold that business so i had a certain understanding of entrepreneurial freedom and then i had this kind of massive pivot
1: so this twenty four hundred hundred dollars you sold your business for, whatever it was. That was three thousand dollars. Three thousand dollars like, Australian on. that you sold your business for. Um, that in your mind as a young boy was was enough for you to hit fuck you, money. Is that what you're saying? It's an exit. Well, <laughs> like, listen, you know, people can judge the one the one thing they'll get from me, Mark
0: Drager, right, is that all of the stuff that I talk about I've actually done. It's not all glamorous.
1: <laughs> I don't know. No, no, I'm not, not <laughs> I'm not actually judging you. I'm wondering if that little taste of the first exit for three K was literally enough for you to be a few weeks into, into uh, you know, a low-paid internship job at a huge company like Coca-Cola, where you could learn so much, you could do so much, you could pick people's brains. And instead, you're like, you know what? Now that I've had this taste of the money-making entrepreneurial high-exit life, Screw you, Coke. Is that what was happening? It was a bit like that. My
0: ego was writing checks that you know I really shouldn't be trying to trying to write. You know, but um, the reality of it is, is that I anyone who's had their own business, even though there are challenges within that, you do have a certain amount of control, certainly in terms of the decisions that you can make, be be those good decisions or poor decisions. And you know, obviously, when I sold my my personal training business, I didn't think of it really as an exit. I just saw it as an escape to go and do something else at the time, right? In hindsight, it's an exit, so I'll clock it as one of my 26 or whatever. But you know, it's, it, you know it, was, it was, I created something of value and I sold it thinking that the grass was greener in this world of corporate. Now, I couldn't have gone more corporate like than Coca-Cola, right, <laughs> if you think about it. And my thinking was, because I did it as part of a sort of an intern play when I was at the university, I thought i'll go there and learn about marketing and then i'll you know have this career this corporate career and what i found was interesting is i mean even even in that few weeks that i was there i learned a hell of a lot because they they literally throw you out on the trucks do you know this you i don't this? know
1: i don't know coca-cola specifically but i had a similar path i think like many young entrepreneurs. A Let's try, they corporate. throw you out on these, these trucks corporate they throw you out in the world and i thought in a year and a half i'd learned all i could possibly learn you had well, seemed to have done this in six weeks
0: <laughs> well well the, the reality of it is the reality of it is they i'm not joking when i say throw you out in the trucks you go out there and deliver coca-cola to little retail stores all around yeah you, wherever learn you the business right yeah, so you go out there with these guys who have been in the company for ages, driving around making deliveries to local stores, not not the big sort of supermarket deliveries or anything like that you You're going around to tiny little what we were called news agents who sell like you know you're dropping off the fridge that's going to be out the front of their shop and then you fill the fridge with coke yeah
1: right so, so you, you were on the route for convenience stores and and yeah, all and of that sort of thing. seven shops and all that, stuff.
0: Right? which was really cool because from a from a kind of customer service learning perspective that was quite interesting to see how the dynamic was so i actually quite enjoyed that part of it the bit that i didn't like which they sort of indoctrinated into you very early on is you know you have to do your time in various stages of brand and category management before you start to get promoted to sort of bigger things and i'd taken a pay cut right for this because i was earning even though i sold the business for three grand the actual disposable income I was earning as a personal trainer was off the charts for like my peer group. And, you know, cause I was good at <laughs> doing it. And, um, so when I went in there, I, I was thinking, so hold on, I have to stay in this position for like, they said at least 24 months. And then you might be able to move up to this level. And then I was like, well, how many levels are there before you get like right up there? It's like 28. I'm like, what? Yeah, if you stay here for 40 years, you might be able to be a regional managing director.
1: And I'm you've like, literally, what? You've literally described. <laughs> I'm just realizing now that this, this may be one of the, um, one of the uh, uh, stories, one of the paths that us entrepreneurs take. Because I was, I was similar. <laughs> I was young. I got a job in this corporate environment that I took a pay cut to be a part of. I decided that within six weeks, I, need, I needed to prove to the company that they couldn't operate without me. Like I was replacing someone in this role, and I, and I made the decision where I said, I need them six weeks in to go, how did we ever get by without Mark? Who is that other guy? And I worked there for a year and a half. I was like, I've learned what I've come to learn. I don't want to work here for another 10 years to slowly work out. I'm out. <laughs> Peace out, everyone. I think, I think this is a path we all, us impatient, uh, we can do it better. Let's figure it out on our own entrepreneurs go. But what does this have to do with marketing? Just the fact it was a marketing department? Well, no,
0: Because I was a marketing graduate there. Ah. Right? And a lot of people who move into into proper brands marketing, and we, we'll kind of get into diff- some definitions, I'm sure, today. Um, this is a great pathway. Like, you know, it's like, I suppose it's like if you've got a job at Apple now, and, you know, you could probably get a job anywhere if you've worked at Apple. Coca-Cola back in the early 90s, was i think bigger certainly as a brand than it is now because there's just too many other brands that have been created digitally since then like this is pre-google pre-any tech because there's no internet right not really so um so here's the cool bit though so i decided to leave because i just didn't really fit that culture and i didn't want to be in that environment and the first job i got proper marketing job as i'd call it because i got to have more control over it was marketing manager of men's health magazine And that took me into the media world for well over a decade. And that got me into, you know, climbing the ranks, et cetera. What was cool about that is I had, you know, I went from having a graduate position to a marketing manager position in the space of a a couple of weeks. And in that I had a lot of control over things that I probably wasn't experienced to do, like how to run budgets around promotions. I had no real, real proper experience other than my own business. But I learned a lot through making mistakes in that environment. And some of the stuff worked really well and that got me promoted super quick. So I look back now in hindsight and I was, you know, a a marketing and brand director, you know, by my mid twenties, I would never have even got to that level had I've stayed
1: in that, you know, that bigger corporate environment. Well, you've just, you've just hit on uh, my number one piece of advice for any entrepreneur, business owner, uh, CEO, CMO anyone who runs a marketing agency or anyone who wants to touch marketing of any kind is you want to make mistakes on someone else's dime. So (laughs) if you, (laughs) if you want to, I had to do this too. Uh, And and the reason I've witnessed this is I worked in house for a year and a half for an internet marketing franchise. I was at the head office, 1500 offices, 90 countries and territories. And I was responsible for communications. I made for, for producing the communications, not, not the, (laughs) I wasn't the VP or anything, but I made a ton of mistakes on their dime. And then when I went to start my firm, my business, I realized that I was gonna continue to make mistakes, but it really bothered me to make mistakes with clients' budgets. It's not fair to the client who trusts you, who turns to you, who wants your advice or your help for you to be making mistakes on their budget. And so if you're a business owner, you either need to find an agency or a specialist, so that way they are not making mistakes on your dime, Or you need to build up a team internally to keep you from making mistakes on your dime. But you can do this. It's just about finding the right people who have the right experiences. But if you're building an agency, you want to get those mistakes out of the way really, really, really quick. Because you don't want to be making mistakes on your clients' money. And uh, if you're building your own uh, sales team, your own marketing team, whatever it is, find someone who knows what they're doing. Because otherwise, you're going to waste a lot of time and money. (laughs)
0: Well, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard place to navigate. And I think we can, we can talk about that a little bit, the sort of things to look out for as well, if you're in that position, because you know, well, let, let's, let's break this down. Let's, let's get super practical on, um, yeah on this let's episode, geek out, as you said, geek out all things, marketing, commercial activity. We'll touch on some sales as well, because it, it does all align, even though there are some very important distinctions, but, but, um, to kind of continue, I'm not going to go through the full story, you get the sort of sense of it. But the early part of my career, certainly the first sort of eight to 10 years was in marketing before I moved into corporate strategy and acquisitions. And there was a very good alignment between those things. Because when you're in marketing, really good marketing, in my mind is understanding the external world, right? Understanding the market, understanding your customer, your client, certainly your ideal customer and client. We can talk about that in a little bit more detail later. Um, and when you move into corporate strategy, it's about understanding that as well and looking for patterns and activities, behaviors. And, um, and that's where there was a lot of synergy between those things. But if we get into definitions, so i started off in brand marketing and the best definition i got this from coke actually i think i've used it with you before mark um and i've never i've never forgotten that is that a brand is a promise of consistency right and they drilled this into us right this idea that like even if you've got a product like magazines which change every month or every week or every day if it's a newspaper the brand and what it stands for has to be consistent because you don't trust people who are inconsistent, right? You might, you know, for a while, you know, ha- have something there. But if people are, you know, doing things that are sort of radically different all over the place, it feels uncomfortable. So the brands that are really, really powerful are the ones that stay consistent that you're ready for this, but never the same.
1: It's that it's that need to 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 be something, you know, but slightly different. Uh, I don't know if you've read much Jonah Berger. Have, have no, you, I you haven't. No, not at all. Jonah Berger. No. OK, no. so he's he's um, he is a professor of sociology. And I can't recall. I think he's out of Boston, one of the universities or colleges. Right. Uh, but he wrote a great book called Contagious, and he looked at what made things go viral many years ago. And then he followed that up with a book about influence and he's followed that up with a third book that I'm working through now. But the influence book, I find quite interesting. And for, for all of us who are entrepreneurs, and here's the best way to explain what Nick just said. And this is from Jonah Berger. It's the idea that, like, let's say that I graduated from with my MBA, and I'm going to go work at a, a finance firm. And, you know, what's, what, what am I going to do? I want to I fit in amongst my peers, right? So maybe I'll go get the apartment or the flat. Maybe I'm going to go get the nice suits or the clothing or go out for dinner. But... It comes time for me to buy a car. What kind of car am I going to buy? Well, I want to buy a car that's of the status of my peers and how I want to be perceived and how I want to be looked. So maybe I'm looking at the BMWs. Maybe that's my brand of choice or the Audi or whatever it is. And so what he found amongst peer groups, like you said, be consistent, but never the same. BMW and all the car companies know this. And so what do you see? You go into, like let's say, a law firm's parking lot. And it's all the same two or three brands. And yet, every color is different. There's the M line versus the this line versus the that line. And so you'll, so they would go and interview these people who just bought a new BMW. And he'd say, hey, you just bought a, a three-series BMW. Doesn't everyone have one? And, and they'll go, yeah, but mine's blue. And it's like, we want that thing that is like so comfortable and right and fits in. And yet, we just need to be slightly different. And that's how we make purchasing decisions. That And that's what people want in terms of your brand. It's like, oh, I know this. I can place this. I'm comfortable with this. I understand where this fits in in the social system. But I'm a little bit special. I'm a little bit different. It's standing out just a bit.
0: There you go. Very nice. See, that was that was a, a nicely uh, unrehearsed <laughs> piece. Well, i tell you what's interesting about it. So that That kind of a brand is a promise of consistency. I've always taken forward in, in businesses I've advised, you know, when we're going through various stages of, of, of scaling them and, and, and building value. But the other thing that, um, I've always sort of noted around that as well is that innovation within a brand is also very important so that you don't become stale. And I've talked about this book many a time on the show, but, um, Seth Godin's Purple Cow right, is a very, very simple articulation of the point. His point being that, you know, you have to be remarkable and stand out, but at the same time be consistent, right? So, so the way that um, we did that at Coke, even though I was only there for a while, but I, I look back in hindsight and I can see it now is, you know, th- there were some things around playing around with a formula, right? You know, you had your cherry Coke and vanilla Coke and all of that. That was an example of innovation around a core ideal, right but then the other thing that that we did there was packaging right you know innovating around packaging theming at certain times of the year making um a a bottle versus a smaller can for certain situations so the idea is that the brand values of coca-cola never really changed and interestingly you know what the brand was really about (laughs) we talked about this being being at arm's length everywhere yes
1: They, they, their mission is to have a Coke within, within reach for every single person on earth.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So the idea was the the actual brand was about refreshments, you know, the idea of refreshment, And that's why they would always kind of talk about that. It was the experience and the feeling versus not the flavor. It's what you had when you had it. But, but this idea, their strategy, if you like, was about having it everywhere. So it was omnipresent to use that nice term. And, and that's why back in the day like you know i i look at marketing today through two lenses brand and direct response and we'll get into that but direct response didn't really happen with coke it was happening in the ad agencies with great copy and stuff like that but but coke just said we have a brand department and we just stick
1: billboards everywhere <laughs> right and well, they're red and so you're touching on something that i have to bump up against because as a creative agency as a branding agency I look at brand very different than most people do. Most people think the Super Bowl commercial, the Coca-Colas, the Apples, the Teslas of the world, like those are brands. And we're going to go ahead and spend a lot of money on fancy stuff. We're going to buy a lot of media. We're just going to put billboards up and somehow people are going to know us and they're going to love us and they're going to buy us. And when you're in a small or medium business, that does not translate, that does not work. And yet brand is just as important. Now you mentioned brand and direct response and you said there's two different categories. I mean, I, I break this out as to like four or five different categories. But do you, do you tend to just look at those two things? I'll tell you why I do it.
0: Because I, because I agree with you that you could break it down into more, but I have found as I've coached people going from startup to scale up is that if you make it too confusing, they just get absolutely lost. Ah,
1: That's the reason why. So so this is where we'll geek out in simple terms.
0: (laughs) Well, no, no, but you know, what's that famous saying that, you know, um, Simplicity yeah. is the, the ultimate sophistication, right? I, I think, I think the problem a little bit, sometimes if you go and read, you know, Kotler on marketing, like right? Kotler was this dude who wrote like all the marketing textbooks when I was at university and it's the most complex shit, honestly, that you'd ever, ever read. And marketing is actually a lot more simpler than people think it is. And the reason I like the idea of brand versus direct response is that you can categorize activities very neatly under those two things as what I call broad headlines. You could, you know, start to go wider and deeper, but I think you know, my advice to a lot of entrepreneurs is if you get lost into that world, you're, you're probably, you're probably going to find it more challenging to work out what you need to do to fix things that are not necessarily working, but you know, you, yeah. you obviously have a different view, Mark, so please share it.
1: Well, so, so as someone who, so let me take a step back, entrepreneurs, coaches, consultants, uh, B2B businesses, they, they come to us, and I've been doing this for 16 years now, and I'm the person as the agency owner, as the head strategist, where no matter the size of the company or who I'm working with, $500 project, a quarter million dollar project, they're coming to me and they're saying, we, we, we wanna do something. And I always have to take a step back and say, okay, what are our objectives? What's your business goals? What, what's the objective of the specific campaign? What are our KPIs? How will we measure it? What will we do? like let's, let's really get specific on how we are going to help the business. You are excited, you have a, an idea, but you are gonna make an investment of time and money and what will make it worth this investment. And the reason I get so um, on a soapbox about this and force the issue with our clients is I know that at the end of the campaign or the project or the, the year we'll be doing a year review for where the clients we work with month over month, I'm going to have to sit across from them and say, you gave us X number of dollars. What did we do for you? I know that I'm going to be the one and my agency is going to be the one who, who quote unquote succeeded or failed on our client's behalf. And so the reason I don't look at it simply as just a direct response, which to, to to define that would be us trying to reach out to people, advertise to people and get them to give us information or sign up for something or pay for something right away versus brand which is we're going to go ahead and put our message out there so we're more aware, so we can be in front of people, so, so we can stay top of mind when they're ready. The reason I believe that there's actually more to this is I don't look at it as outreach channels, those, those I'm going to reach out versus I'm going to be in front of people and they'll reach into me. I look at it as combining sales and marketing and communications and client onboarding and referrals. I look at it as one total thing. This is why some people get confused. Is this marketing? Is this advertising? Is this brand? Is this communications? Do, do, we, do we bring the, the, our finance people into this conversation or not? It, like, it gets super confusing because I think we are trying to do too many things. When we have an idea, when we have a campaign, when we have a mission, we only want to accomplish one thing. That one thing we want to accomplish is going to be for one audience. We're going to have one message and we're gonna run it for a certain amount of time. And at the end of it, we're gonna decide if it worked or not. And that may be a referral program, that may be to build our email list, that may be advertising, that may be sales, that may be picking up the phone and calling people and inviting them to an event so you can close them at the event. Like I I try to take a step back from the tactic and just look at the, what is our objective? Who is our audience? What action are we gonna take? What message are we gonna give them? And how are we gonna know if it worked or not? you understand what I mean?
0: I do. I do. I, 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 I don't 100% agree, which is good because okay. I, I, well, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you how I look at it because I don't look at it necessarily through the same lens. So, so I think of it like this. Um, the, the reason that I'm doing something which would be under the category of direct response is I want someone to do something now. It's not an outreach. It's not an in It's I want them to do
1: something now. Brand, and and that something might be what? Sign up for an email, join could be a, all the join things you list, said, by the way, everything you said, okay.
0: but I want them to take action in Today. the moment, pretty much as quickly as possible from the point in time that I have, I've done something to instigate that a message, whatever that is. Whereas brands really for me, and this is my definition, probably of it more than anything else is I want them. I want someone to take action, but I want them to take action later. I want them to remember. Me. I, want me, I want that when the point is, you said this quite well, actually, in terms of when the timing is right, I want them to do something. Now, if I go a layer deeper, right, if I, if I talk about why we're we doing marketing in the first place, well, we're doing marketing because we want to sell something, right? Sometimes that's an idea, sometimes that's a product, sometimes it's a service. We're always marketing, right? Whatever it is. So the difference for me for direct response versus brand is I want to sell something now. Or I want to sell something later, and so the the important piece when I when I talk about it, and people say, "What's more important, brand or direct response?"
1: Both. <laughs> you do both. You know. You can't. You know. You, you know Genius can't Network, not. right? You know Genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Polish. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. His Joe's partner, Dean Jackson, who is. I know Dean. Oh, I had this kind of. Thinker. I had this.
0: I had this man crush on Dean. On, you don't know about me and
1: Dean on Clubhouse. I, I don't, but Dean Oh my God. Dean articulates what you're saying better than I think anyone else. And he says there's only two types of customers, those who are ready to buy today and those who are not ready to buy today. Perfect. Only Love two it. types of customers. And so what you're saying is direct response are for those who are ready to buy today. Yep. And to break that down, that's gonna be that's gonna be you can get in front of them through advertising, targeted ads, absolutely, paid ads, uh, SEO. So people are doing search. Uh, corporate, like sp- specific sponsorship. If you know a bunch of people are going to be at this event, you want to get in front of sponsor the event. It could be through keynotes. It could be through targeted mastermind groups or networking, but like it's always that targeted thing. I'm going to do the targeted activity. I'm going to put money behind it or, or momentum or energy. And I'm going to go out there and shake the tree and make it happen. And that's that customers are ready to buy today or they're not ready to buy today. Branding. Right. so, so, uh, that could be social media. That could be uh, white papers. That could be this really long funnel. It could be uh, sponsoring an event with no immediate need to move forward right away, but you get your name in front of them. There's all these different tactics and activities. Uh, I would agree with you if we just break it down that way and, and keep it super simple. Well, I think it's. I,
0: I know you can get more granular, but I, but I, as you know, I own part of a of a, of a media buying company too, right? In in the ad side, and which is more on the direct response piece, and and I I get really kind of you know, clear in terms of how someone should build a cadence around this in their business. Okay. So, you know, in my, in my opinion, you need to have activity that is driving a response continuously predictable, repeatable. And that response is usually some form of lead, a lead that you can then do something with to drive to a conversion. Okay. So that's something that you need to automate as best you possibly can in your business, in my opinion right? That could be running ads all the time. That's a form of automation, right? You've got ads that are running, you're obviously still looking at the performance of those ads, and you're tweaking and tuning. But the whole purpose of that activity is to drive a lead for someone to put their hand up and show some interest, some intent. Okay, there are lots of other ways you can do that as well. But if I continue sort of on that sort of train of thought, you've got this situation, I think, where, you know, if you are just focused, on that sort of activity, right? If you're not thinking about the the message that people are going to remember, you know, I often say to people, have an overarching message for the year, right? Break it then into maybe campaigns, but you have to stand for something and against something back to that Seth Godin point. Now, if I go out there and talk to the market about exiting companies, a lot of the stuff that I put out there, I'm not asking for them to do anything right? What I'm doing is educating. Okay. I'm, I, some people are problem unaware or opportunity unaware, meaning that they don't really know what's going to happen. They may have the intent to do something that, you know, I can help them with, but they don't quite understand it. So I need to educate. If I want someone to actually buy a program that I do, then I might be more intentional. I might run ads to a webinar and run a webinar and pitch on that webinar, et cetera, et cetera. But you see what I mean. I'm not if, if you saw my calendar of activity in my businesses, it's like there's overlapping pieces.
1: Yes. Of yeah, brand yeah, no, and uh, listen, listen, we're we're on the same have, page with this. Here's here's what I would say, because I'm listening to you and I'm going, Oh man, I could just I could just feel I could just feel the entrepreneurial spirit in me getting so excited about all the things we could do. And if I was a listener right now, I'd be going, You're right. I should be, I should be doing this and this and this. And I <laughs> Because all I'm hearing is tactic, tactic, tactic. Oh, it's so great. I just want to caution everyone. You know, in my experience, we get really excited about the tactics. We go to the event and they say, you got to be on TikTok. And then suddenly you find yourself as a mortgage broker uh, running a, a financial planning firm, you know, and you're dancing Dancing TikTok, like a chicken. You know? like a
0: dancing like a chicken. I always use that yeah. as, a, as a term, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, wait, hold on. How does this make sense? Or let's go back a few years. You got to be. You, everybody has to have podcasts. True, I think podcasting. I listen. I love it. You love it. It's great. Not for everyone, you know. Oh, you, you got to be blogging. Or you got to be on Instagram. You gotta. You got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do all these things. You got to have a Click thing, and you got to be d- doing Facebook advertising. And oh, Facebook's down now. What about Instagram? And uh, uh, what about YouTube? And. I just saw this new thing, and what's happening with chat? You know, uh, with with AI, and how we, AI, and yes. it's just it's it's overwhelming. But, but here's where I would say take a step back. I love the idea of planning a, a theme for the year, and then breaking that theme into into maybe two or three different hooks, and then having that be smaller campaigns and smaller outreach. But all of that stuff is tactics. If you're not ready to start investing six figures into advertising, and giving it the volume and the time. And if you do not believe you have the partners who can set up the campaigns properly, measure them, track them, take the data that's coming back, and then actually give you the insight for changes you need to be making. If you don't have the KPI set up for whether your social account, whether you're looking at the right numbers, and whether each time you post something, are you looking at the data coming back and actually making changes? If you don't have the system, and, and it's, I see it the same system as my manufacturing clients, for example. I have manufacturing clients who work in, say, um, uh, let, let, you know, I have a metal shop and they do a lot of custom fabricated things. I know when I'm speaking to the business owner that they know the cost of the raw goods. They know the hourly rate. I know that they've calculated uh, wastage in terms of can they actually punch out, um, you know, extra stuff from the scrap and save it or not. Recycling fees. And they're making a million dollar investment in this new in this new uh, of, a form. He knows exactly when the ROI is going to kick in and how many pieces he has to put out. Like He, he has all his financials down, and they, they are running an efficient shop. And then when it comes to brand or advertising or marketing or communications or anything else, suddenly <laughs> all, all, of the, all of the planning, all of the precise action, all of the tracking, everything goes out the window because they go, hey, I got a 24-year-old who understands social media. What do we do to grow? And so I, I, I hear what you're saying, tactic, tactic, tactic. All I would suggest is let's take a step back. You mentioned the five stages of awareness. And, and some people aren't even aware of, of, this, of this model, this idea that there are people who are completely unaware that they have a problem. Then there are people who know that they have a problem, but they have no idea what the solution is. And then there are people who know they have a problem and know the solution, but they're not quite sure how to solve it. And then there are people who know they have a problem, and then they know there's a solution out there, and they've and they've done some research and they found a few solutions to their problem. And you may be one of them. And then there are people who are actually going to pick you over your competition. They know that there's a problem. They know there's a solution. They know that people offer the solution. They've done some research and they're going to select you. If, if you're, Nick just kind of put it out there like, hey, there are the people who are problem-aware, solution-aware, whatnot. But, but this is just a foundational business element to like, let's look at Let's look at our current best clients our current best clients who are the best of the best are there any commonalities amongst these people how how do they think how do they interact with us what do they want from us how did we find them how did we connect with them how did we come in contact with them how did they move from problem aware to solution aware to product aware and if you look at your whole company and you're and, and you might only have six of these clients it's worth spending some time saying, how did we get those six clients and how can we get a seven? And maybe it did not come through expensive advertising or, or whatever. For my business, I, I noticed that each year out of, the, out of the hundred plus projects we did per year, we would pick up every year one long lasting client. That lasting client would work with us for three years on average because that's how long it took for the, my contact to, to, to get a promotion And as they got a promotion or left the company we would lose the client. So I learned every year we picked up one long lasting client every year that lasting client lasted for three years. And every year we could uh, get a certain amount of money from them, revenue from them. But out of that one lasting client, I had to do 100 projects. And those 100 projects required a certain number of leads and those leads had to come from somewhere. And so just by taking a step back and looking at our best clients, our current clients, who are we losing? Who aren't we losing? And starting there before you start looking out at the like, how can we do advertising and how can we do this tactic or that tactic or what have you? Well, like-
0: let's I mean, let let's break it down because
1: I, 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 everything in my world is a
0: set of frameworks and processes, right? And, and remember, my background is borderline military, right? Because in private equity, you're a machine, right? Like, have you ever seen The Terminator? <laughs> I've not. <laughs> You've not seen the Terminator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. You have not seen the no, Terminator.
1: I've never. Seen, you got to remember. You, I'm you are not allowed to you. be on this podcast, I'm, I'm little, If you, if you haven't seen Star Wars or the Terminator, you're, Wars, you're allowed to be I've on seen, here. I've seen all the Star Wars movies. It's just, it's just you. You have to remember. Terminator came out, I think, when I was two or three, and then. By the time I was like 10, they had all been released and I was too young to watch them.
0: Well, you've got to go and watch the terminator. Because the point about it is the guy's a machine, right? Of course. Yeah. Because it's the yeah. terminator. But he, here's my thing. Let, let's break this down into some practicalities. And, and I'll share kind of the way I look at it. And then you share your perspectives on it. Cause there'll be some, I'm sure there'll be some overlap, but there'll be some differences. So if I'm looking at the commercial part of a business, right, and this actually fits under some of the exit work I do because it's one of the one of the four areas that we look at to build value, right? If I look at it, the first thing that I look at is obviously the strategy of what we're trying to do right so the, well, the vision the vision is coming from the business so the business vision is what it is but there's a point of how we're going to grow the business and then we need to think about the strategy I actually start with brand right and I'll, and I'll give you a couple of points on this so I start with brand so if you don't know what market you want to operate in which is a which is a brand question and I'll get into that who who you most want to help or serve, right? You know, you've got a, a business that you're creating that is trying to solve a problem of some sort and you are creating products and services to solve that problem. So you have to be very, very clear about who you're solving that problem for. That sometimes comes under the term of things like an avatar. Um, I actually quite like archetypes, Carl Jung's, Carl Jung's work, which is really, really interesting. I've done a lot of work on that in the in the past. Um, And then, you know, if you go deep to your point beforehand of understanding that, that, that pen portrait, that ideal person, that, that archetype, you understand that in a lot of detail, it starts to then create from that, the messaging, the way that you need to communicate, uh, the various tactics of how you can communicate. And then you go into a set of processes of which there are 10. Okay, And I've done a podcast on this recently, so I'm not going to go through them in detail. But one of the processes is how do you create awareness? The next one is you know, how do you generate leads? How do you convert those leads? Right? How do you, if you're in a service business, onboard that client or create an experience around that transaction, which is memorable? Right? And it, it goes on and on and on. But if you think about that for a second, what, what are we doing here? If you've got a business that just goes out with tactics, like puts an ad out there, you know, saying, oh, I sell legal services, blah, blah, blah. It's not going to work. I, I come to businesses all the time that just think by putting out, you know, something that says, oh, we do this into the sea of noise and messaging that everyone's confused about anyway. And, it, oh, no, we didn't get any leads. Well, of course you didn't get any leads because you didn't understand who you were talking to. <laughs> yep. You're with me, right? You're with me. So, so to bring this together and then I'll let you jump in. Right. So if you've got a business and you're struggling to grow it, right it's not working the first thing that you know i often say is drill down on the niche okay we touched on this before pressing record get ultra specific on who your ideal client is or customer and make sure that the products and services that you're building absolutely solve their issues their challenges their opportunities and if you really want to kind of get bonus points and an a star have products that sit after that which solve the next problem and the next problem and the next problem and you don't have to do that at once, by the way. You can create that over time. And then all of a sudden, you have a commercial plan that starts to work.
1: I, I agree with everything you just said. And I'm going to only- Accept on, the terminator I'm gonna, point. <laughs> I'm going to zoom in on two points. First of all, uh, here's where I start. I ask, before I even get into the stuff you have, what are the only ways we can make money? And I'm going to I'm going to take this ex, like I'm going to take this exactly from my own internal notes because because these do are it. the questions I continue to ask it. myself. So the only three ways that my firm, I have a professional services firm can make money. Number 1, we can trade hours for money. Yep. Now, people always suggest like, "Hey, you never want to trade hours for money." Yes, I do. I want to trade other people's hours, my team's hours. Right? Yeah, I want to hit my a, that is hours. the
0: definition of a service business, right? You are. Exactly. You are. I hate the
1: term, but it's body shopping. <laughs> well, so so he, so, how am I going to make more money? I can increase revenue. Like we can break it down to the five, like new targets or new people or repeat business. And I'm like, let's take a step back. Even I need more hours to sell, and I need more people to buy billable hours. Great. The second way my professional service firm can make money, I can trade systems and know how for money, so I can. Produce courses or workshops. I could do yeah, education. Engagements. I, I could it. do one-on-one coaching. I could do anything like that. And the third way is I can trade access for money. So through uh, building an audience, through a brand, through masterminds, through network, through joint ventures to sell, and each one of them requires more people to buy. So if I was running, um, one of our clients, for example, was was a large lighting manufacturer who produced all of their stuff in China and then they sold through distribution. They had Home Depot, they had Lowe's, they had Costco, they, they, they produced the in-house brands for many of these firms. And when I would sit down with them and they'd say, we need to go ahead and increase sales, the question we would ask is, what are the ways we can make money? Do we wanna look at launching a direct-to-consumer brand because you're gonna increase your price point even though the cost of distribution and your volume is gonna go down and is it worth it or not? And this is why I don't look at marketing just as marketing, right? This is why. There are titles like CRO, chief revenue officer now in the business, Mm -hmm. because sales and marketing and brand and vision and finances and uh, advertising have all combined if you're doing this really well. So I would start by doing that. And then I would jump into exactly what you said, which is once we know, once I pull off the shelf, okay, I want to increase sales through trading more hours for money which means I need more hours to sell and people to buy them, I can very easily say, what's my objective, right? I want, I want more people to know that as a consultancy or as a production company, you can hire us. Great. Like you said, let's look at our audiences. Let's look at our breakdowns of who these people are. And let's get really, really specific with it. The reason I want to zoom in on this point is I think you missed one element of this. You need to know who you are and what you want to achieve and your vision and, your, and how you can help, for sure, your product or your service. Now, what makes it different? What makes it compelling? What makes it stand out? What makes the features and benefits work? Or you can create a sense of urgency to make people move forward. It has nothing to do with you, in fact. It has to do with your audience and your market or competition. And that marketer competition is, I think, the, the piece you kind of glossed over. Mm-hmm. You definitely want the architect, you definitely want the persona. And the way that we help people is like, I'm, I'm looking at one report that I, we've we pulled for someone where, you know, they, they, we worked, we went out to the market because they have a new um, coaching program. They want to help more people with this coaching program. And when I dug into like, who do you want to help and how do you want to help, super vague, super fuzzy. So we looked at our potential audiences and we looked by role. Okay, corporate, CEO, COO, CFO, manager, VP, uh, staff member, uh, HR. We looked at every department of corporate to see who is talking about or interested in or even has a vague idea. Are they even aware? And are they likely to even buy your type of service? And then we looked at entrepreneurship. And we came up with, I think, 34 different categories. What's the difference between investment versus real estate versus finance versus A professional service firm like a lawyer or an accountant or a plastic surgeon versus manufacturing, versus we looked at all the different possible entrepreneurs in different industries. And again, we looked at appropriateness who's likely to buy, who's likely to move forward? Do people even think about this? Can we even get in front of them? What is our path to get in front of these people? We looked at athletes, we looked at all these different personas. I think we looked at 60. And guess what? When we looked at who these people are and where they're going, can we even get in front of them with a message? Are they even aware of this? We ended up boiling it down to just five kind of groups. There was like the corporate executives. There was what we called kind of the new corporate move, which are like the HR people and all the people who, who want to make big corporations much more like small corporations. There's the entrepreneur, which we called kind of the hustle, hustle bros, if you know what I mean, like that hustle culture, hustle bros. There's the athletes. And then in front of the client, we say, who are you likely to sell to? Who's likely to buy? how can we get our message in front of them? And we narrowed it down to then two people, two different types of groups. And from those two groups, we then went back to the marketplace and we picked out the number one people in this space who are doing this, who represent, they have our audience, they know how to sell. They're doing amazing work. And what can we learn from these people? So that's that third step of the market or the competition. And so, you know, from that, we're even able to pull through through all kinds of amazing tools, like the top phrases that people share in social media. And as it turns out, the number one phrase, which we would never have used, is comfort zones. Comfort zone. When we went through this whole process, we determined people are talking about comfort zone, and people are talking about value. And the number one, uh, the number one hashtag in this area is management. Wouldn't have used that term. Uh, leadership sounds so conservative. Wouldn't have used that term. And so. Now, as you said, now let's zoom back out to where you where you had your program. You know what you want to do. You look at you and your product, you look at your audience, you look at your competition. Yes, you can get messaging. Yes, you can get specific. But we don't have to invent this stuff. Like it's all sitting out there and we can find it. And once we understand that people are using the word leadership, which we never would have used, I wouldn't have used, or comfort zone, which I never would have used for this market, we can then tailor our message with the very verbiage and words our audience wants. And once you have that, now you can decide brand, direct response, uh, advertising. Now we have the foundational tools. We know who we need to be, how we need to look, how we need to make people feel, what we need to say in order to connect with them.
0: So there is a, there is a thought within that, which, which I, I've considered a number of times, And I think this is where a lot of people get their their marketing wrong. If you think of the messaging that goes out there to build awareness is they're trying too much to interrupt a conversation that's happening in someone's head already, or they're trying to introduce an idea that that person is a long way off from contemplating. Now there's a balance between those things, meaning that, you know, sometimes people do need to be made aware of something that is actually impacting them. they don't know what it is. But I found that the most successful marketing campaigns that I've run Hawaii where you join the slipstream of someone else's conversation. So you know you are participating in what's already going on and you're complementing it, right, as opposed to trying to radically change it. And it's not to say that there isn't a time and a place for you know this kind of pattern interrupt type of activity. However, my experience is that can be more costly in the long run because, you're meeting someone at a stage where you have to take them through the points. You said those five different points of decision, you've got to take them all the way through that. Whereas if you know, someone is already at a point, they're having those conversations and you can actually get there quicker to, to that point where there's a potential conversion, you can get a higher ROI on your activity.
1: Yes. This is the problem with blue ocean versus red ocean. I have worked with so many uh, blue ocean startups. And at this point, um, I would be very hesitant to move forward with anyone in a blue ocean state because the problem is that we are maybe worried or insecure as business owners we're not very good at standing out or being compelling. And so we think that our differentiation will come from just making things more complicated, <laughs> you know, like, like I am going to be oh, in the wearable space with tech and AI, like you just take buzzwords. Well, you Creating a
0: category, what, what you're talking about here, the blue ocean stuff for people who haven't read the book, blue ocean strategy. I studied it when I was at INSEAD. So I know it well, the guy who wrote the book taught us it. Um, the idea of blue ocean is you go into a, uh, a market or you create a market. Usually it's create a market, um, where you have the ocean to yourself. So there's no competition. The red ocean being where there's lots of fish in the water fighting for scarce resources,
1: sharks, sharks. there's blood Ducks. in the water,
0: <laughs> but I'll say, i tell you the best place to play best place to play is, um, where someone has gone into the blue ocean, spent lots of money creating the category, totally screwed it up and then you come in.
1: <laughs> okay. So if you can do that, actually, that, that there, that there is was actually no, we, we get great private me. equity. We get taught this all the time. And, and I love that. I love that. But if you're, if you're already in a space where I was going with this is people underestimate how much time, money, effort it takes to try and even teach people like, like to your point of, Hey, we're all busy trying to interrupt everyone all the time and trying to, trying to interrupt them and make something super compelling and super great. And yet we spend a ton of time, a ton of money, and a ton of effort uh, with very poor results in most cases because it's very expensive, it's very competitive, and it's hard to learn versus just going like, hey, I know, if people keep asking the same question over and over again, why don't we develop the absolute best answer? Like the most compelling, simplest, best high-value way to answer this question and then why don't we get this answer in front of everyone who's looking for it?
0: Well, that that that, that is right? the like that's, that's, that's pretty that's pretty <laughs> simple.
1: So so but but this can be done. And when you think that simply, it's actually not that competitive in the smaller business space because frankly, more people are looking for the one shot, the big shot, the thing that's gonna like You know, the thing that's going to that's going to be the one thing that pays off, whereas really small incremental tactics or strategies work really, really well over time. And, uh, you know, you've you've been mentioned this time, but you've talked about the like microwave versus the oven. I don't know if you want to explain that a little bit more, but but this is where I'm saying, like, let's just do simple really, really well, because we can always do complicated later.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, we'll wrap up in a sec too, because I want to kind of get into the, the questions as well. But but I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about, well, actually I'll do two things actually. So the microwave versus the oven um, comes back a little bit to the whole brand versus direct response definitions we started with today. So if you think of, you know, an oven is, is something you know, in the good old days, certainly here in England, we've got an oven, it's called an aga. Um, but in the good old days, like, you know, it would take a time for the, for the oven to warm up. You turn it on, it would warm up, it'd warm up, you put the food in, et cetera. But even after you've done that, even when you've turned it off, it would stay warm for a long time, okay? And when you think about brands, back to that whole promise of consistency and all those sort of things, what you're really doing is you're investing quite a lot of time and money in something that you don't see the the tangible result from straight away. I'll, I'll share a quick story on that in a second, but. The microwave, on the other hand, is it quick? It's immediate. You know, you want it quickly. The expectations it's quick. You know, you can heat something up in 30 seconds and it's ready to go. Now, the good thing about that is you get potentially what you want quickly, but it happens so quickly it's forgotten in an instant. So so when you're thinking about your marketing activity, from my perspective, that's why having activity, which is, you know, that that point around, it's it's getting someone ready in the future. You're warming them up you know, for the point in time when the food's ready, when they're ready to do something with you. You need to do that because that's going to build sustainability in your business. Equally, you can't run a business on that because it's going to take too long and cash is king. So you need to do stuff that's going to get immediate action for the people that are ready to go now, which is the microwave. So so that's a good way, I think, of people thinking about it. And the next thing around that is I just want to share a quick story about it. So I worked for my sins many years ago on a magazine called FHM for Him magazine and it's in the kind of uh men's entertainment category uh but not like Playboy just to be super clear and that category of magazines doesn't really exist anymore uh disrupted by digital online etc cetera, etc cetera. but I remember I was working for this magazine and the managing director was a gentleman called Philip Thomas. In fact, he has been on Scale Up Your Business a while back. Great episode where I talk about um, some of this stuff with him. But he invested a heap of money one year in brand advertising and like a a crazy amount of money, like in the seven figures level sort of back in the, let's call it early 2000s and did not sell one magazine. Like, Ah. like literally it was a, it was a car crash. He almost lost his job, right? Literally. But what people didn't really appreciate, certainly the, the, the bean counter finance people at that point in time is we were in a very, very competitive fight with two other magazines that were vying for category leadership and category leadership. When you're selling magazines means that you get better rankings in supermarkets and it has a a huge advantage to it commercially, but doing this this million buck spend on ads and things like that that didn't sell anything literally no one understood this so he almost loses his job almost loses his job and then the next year didn't didn't lose his job thank god you know talked himself out of it the next year and the year after every piece of direct activity that we did compounded so much so that we went to number one in the market and no one could keep up and stayed in that position for five or so years so if you did the ROI on that ad campaign, that that brand campaign, based on that data over five years, it it was the probably the most impactful, most important thing that FHM ever did. But if you measured it, yeah, just because of the spend that happened over a few months, you know, because it literally was a very intense campaign over six months, you'd say this was a waste of money. But, well, but this there is you this go. is
1: the classic short-term thinking versus long-term thinking, short-term results versus long-term results, and what are you building and what do you want to accomplish. You know, our, our number one theater group here is, uh, in Canada is Cineplex. And Cineplex and our number three bank, about 20 years ago, started this program called, for, for movie points, called it's like Scene Card. And they wanted teenagers to sign up for this Scene Card to teach teenagers how to use a debit or, or a credit card. But, but mostly they wanted to, they, they wanted to start collecting uh, data. And they wanted, they wanted to train people to, to love this number three bank. Well, teenagers are not good banking clients. I mean, they have no credit. They have no income. They have no money. They are not good. Are not good. The, the, the company lost money year over year over year on this program for like five or six years. And the leadership still believed in it, but they had to fight the board, and they had to fight shareholders, and they had to fight everyone. Well, but guess what happens when these teenagers enter their 20s or their late 20s or their 30s? What happens when they need the, the bank loans or they need the mortgages or they need to start saving for retirement? What happens when they start to become family people? That program took the bank from like number three, I think, to number two. But but it paid off 10 years later so well that they've launched now grocery programs and all these other programs. And everyone's rushing to copy But it took them a long time to see that play pay off.
0: So there you go. So so the the, the underlying thought as we get into Q&A now very quickly is you've got to be doing both of these areas. We could have gone deeper into it. I agree with you, Mark, there are there are layers into this. But for a lot of people listening to this who are scaling, I think understand those two concepts. Well, understand the difference between brand direct direct response. We didn't touch a lot on sales today, but the impact of both of these things then ladders itself into, into that, that area.
1: But um, my, the thing that changed here's my... Uh, I was going to say, here's my, real quick, here's my advice. like If you listen to this conversation and you're like, yep, I know everything they're talking about. Awesome. Keep going. And if you're like, wow, what did I just listen to? <laughs> go, go get go get some help because if you're not doing this your competition certainly is <laughs>
0: well I'm going to say exactly and a lot of people get really struggle with this stuff as well so indeed all righty so let's get into some Q&A Mark that was fun that was um uh, let me say one last thing one last thing I know because we've got to start to wrap up um people know that I um had a lot of growth in my various companies over the last 12 months certainly certainly my main consultancy piece um do you know what worked there right what really worked more than anything else Is is having other people go out there and build the market. Right. They, you know, lots of people went out and spent, I know, millions building this kind of MA space, um, but not necessarily having the credibility behind it. So I could then step into it. So I'd love to say that it was my fantastic marketing activity and that, but actually it wasn't. It was flowing in the slipstream of other activity. So I say that because if you look at your competitors, which is a great point you made up, have a look at what they're doing. Have a look at their messaging. They might be creating the market for you to be able to go in there and do something quite remarkable with how you, you know, define yourself.
1: Good. Let's get to questions. Uh, question number one. Uh, it looks like it's Sacramento. Nathan. Yep. Nathan. Nathan. Yeah. Uh, his question is uh, marketing or sales. If you had to make a single investment, which one would you focus on? Nick, how would you approach that? <laughs> that didn't take long.
0: Well, you know what? okay? so 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 here's the thing, and this is one of those like chicken and egg questions, right? I, I think I think you know when you're in a business when you're in a business that's doing under seven figures, I think you have to be really good at selling. right? And quite often I advise people, particularly if they're you know under half a million in revenue, that you know depending if it's a product that you're selling at retail or whatever, but you know the 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 founder has to be selling. All the time. That could be selling to investors. It could be selling the actual product. You're always selling. So I'm not saying that you can't have sales skills, but if people don't know you, right? If they have no understanding, any awareness, you can't sell a thing. And the first process under marketing is creating awareness of the fact that you exist. So that's why.
1: Visibility beats ability. Boom. There Visibility you go. beats ability. Now, here's what, the way I would break it down marketing or sales. I would say, uh, what's your business type? So again, I, I don't want to make everything complicated, but if you're in a low volume, high uh, margin business, I would focus on sales because you only need a few people. We were working with someone in your group. And as we were breaking things out, they, they, I asked them, hey, they're thinking about advertising, they're thinking about email marketing, they're thinking about all this stuff. I say, where do you work? Oh, the UK. How many people are in your industry? Like how many people do you want to get in front of? 600. Okay, there's only 600 people that you want to get in front of. Do they all go to an event? <laughs> Why don't you go to that event? Why don't you network into that community? Why don't you try to get in front of those 600 people? And that would be sales, in my mind, right? Like it's a small group. It's 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 low volume. Whereas if you're high volume, lower margin, or what have you, then so I call you- that
0: marketing, Mark. So 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 you know, it's funny because I was doing this with my team this week, and we we have these 10 processes and under awareness, there's only four things I do. And one of them is turning up to events. But I call that marketing because because I walk around and I pitch I you know, subtly I say this is what I'm doing. That's I'm not selling anything half the time I will not sell at the event. Like Whatever, but I will. After that, I will have a lot. And
1: and this is this is where we can get into trouble with language. It doesn't matter. Like you call it this, I call it this. The reason I think of it as sales is anytime I'm in a one-on-one conversation with someone, even if even if I'm not direct pitching them or selling them, I think of them as they are now part of my sales funnel. I'm having a one-on-one conversation because
0: oh, okay. so, so I, I think of it as marketing. Cause, cause like, but it, um, but it doesn't matter.
1: It doesn't matter. The point is like all of this stuff is combined and you need to figure the be, out the best the way to think
0: of it is, is, is exactly that. The capabilities, that. It's the, the, capabilities they're, they're,
1: you need in your business and like who's going to help right you hand. do it.
0: <laughs> Good. Okay. So let's, let's get on next question. Uh, this oh, is, this is, one,
1: this is one for you for sure. Oh, was it? Okay.
0: read it out. Go for it. Dan, yeah, Dan, Dan from, from New York,
1: New York. Uh, if if you're looking to prepare your business for uh, an exit, I guess is what he's saying. Um, yeah. What are the th- okay? Here's a question for you. What are the three things you look at, Nick, when you're looking at a company's books? Oh, okay. Like, what so are you the, looking the, for? These, what uh, are uh, the areas uh, you that, we wanna, uh, that we want that we want to prop up or fix?
0: <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, exactly right. So you know what's interesting here is is the question is framed in a way which I would first go back and say that's not the question. But the re- the reason why that is everyone says the books. And I want to make this point because it's super important. The books meaning the financial documents, usually the profit and loss and the balance sheet. The problem is that's only 40% of the value of the business. So okay. everyone that I work with and they try and sell their business, they start here. They don't sell their business because they're not looking at the thing that's actually valuable, which is all the other areas. All right. So I just want to make the point that thanks for the question dan and i will answer it in terms of the financials but you're only looking at 40 percent of where the value sits by asking that question in that way okay and don't feel bad because everyone does right because they're not aware but if you're looking at the financials what you're really looking at is is you're looking for predictability okay and you know if i break them down into three things first and foremost businesses that have real value have profit so the idea that you know i raised money i raised it at a 20x revenue multiple and we're pre profit you know what when you get up into the really big game the capital markets and private equity that it's not played like that so you're all you're looking for the profitability and you're looking for predictability of profit in other words you're looking for what is called margin expansion the ability to convert revenue to something that's more tangible cash flow income Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing you're looking at is predictability of past performance of revenue. Okay, so we're looking at, um, and I I always look backwards here to project forward. So when I've been involved in big exits, there's normally been some cases five to 10 years of, of predictable revenue growth. It doesn't have to be off the charts like 30, 40, 50, 100%. But if you're growing at say 20%, 30% every year for a decade, the chances are that you're going to continue doing that at very, very high, as long as the market hasn't disrupted and things like that. So you're looking at that. Okay. The third area you're looking at, which is super important is on the balance sheet. And on the balance sheet, you're looking predominantly at two things. You're looking at liabilities and you're looking at assets. And when a business is sold, it's sold cash-free, debt-free meaning that the cash in the business is taken out other than amount of working capital which stays in the business. And then the debt is is also taken off the valuation. So if a business has high levels of assets, I have the ability to leverage those assets in the deal. So I can raise money against them, which means it de-risks the amount of capital I need to put in. If it has high liabilities, sometimes businesses have so much debt that they're not profitable. So you need to have a look at how much debt's in the business, because that's going to affect the overall value.
1: Did I answer it? That was the good stuff. That's why people come and listen.
0: Oh, God. Sorry. Geeked out again. Yeah. Okay. It. Cool. Okay. Well, Mark, that was fun yet again. Thank you, sir. Geeking out on marketing. Like, like we said, we could have gone in so many different lanes on that one, but we landed in a couple of lanes. Uh, did you enjoy that? I, I could talk
1: about this all day,
0: every day. <laughs> As always, there's, there's people who have come back with more questions. So ask your questions, and we will come back in a future episode and answer them. But uh, thank you very much, Mark, and thank you for everyone listening. I hope you're enjoying your walk, your Sunday afternoon, wherever you are listening to Scale Back. We'll see you here again very soon. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.